Hey everybody, welcome to the Row Hunting Resources Podcast. Alright, well, uh, this one's gonna be just, let's just jump in. Let's just, no intro, let's just jump into it. Let's, let's not waste any time. Um, Happy New Year. Hope everything's everybody's doing well. I hope everybody had a great Christmas and holiday season. And uh, got going into the new year safely. Uh, I know several folks and some family members have the new Omicron COVID, which I'm actually happy for. I'm, I'm kind of actually happy for you, maybe, uh, given what I'm hearing as far as it's, yes, it's contagious as all get out, but it seems like it's like mild, like a regular cold. So maybe we can start all building actual, real, meaningful herd immunity off of this bad chicken. Um, <laughs> let me just end it let me just end the the rant on that one because uh it is 11 p.m tonight all right and that's important because well it's 2022 all right 2022 and i'm going to try to commit this year to do a podcast at least one podcast a week I know that I have been sporadic and, and really haven't put the effort into the podcast in the past. I enjoy I enjoy them. I do. Trust me. I really do enjoy them, and I enjoy getting the feedback, and I enjoy being on other people's podcasts, and and I, I do. I enjoy talking with you, and I enjoy, I enjoy exploring ideas. It's just life, man. It just I can, I can easily identify about uh, 20 other things in my days, in my nights, that I would rather be doing, and it really probably boils down to just a lack of discipline. And I'm, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna deny that. Yeah, these past several years, I've, I've gotten lazy on my, my discipline regimen. If I, I my wife would probably say I've never been. But <laughs> anyway, um, I'm gonna try to commit to a podcast a week minimum. And so I wanted to do one last week, and well, guess what? Here we are. It's it's it, it's not the first Monday, uh, is it? No, it's not the first Monday. Yeah, last week I could have done one, but I was still toying around with the idea of what I wanted. So this is technically the first Monday that I actually knew what the heck I wanted to do and, and had a focus and, and committed to it. So... I got done with the hunt tonight, so if you follow me on Instagram, anybody who's listening to this, just follow me on Instagram, man. I don't know how many times I, I, I've said this over and over again. I really don't spend much time on Facebook anymore. I really don't. And and I'm gonna start do. I'm gonna I'm exploring at the moment doing some other stuff on different platforms. Uh, but Instagram is the one that I do the the vast majority of stuff on. I will. Share So in Instagram, when I post something, it gives me the option to share it to Facebook. So I automatically just share it to anything that allows me to share it to Facebook. I'll share it to Facebook. So some of you are watching and seeing stuff on Facebook and they're thinking, oh, well, Chris is engaged. Man, I'm very rarely going over to Facebook. To I, I mean, I need to. I understand from a business standpoint, I need to be engaging all the areas. But man, I just don't. And so maybe like once a week, I'm like, oh, yeah. I better go over and check what the hell's going on on Facebook side. So if you see something on Facebook and you don't see me respond to it, it's just because it's not that I'm ignoring you. It's just because I'm ignoring Facebook. It's just gotten tiring, tedious. Instagram is is starting to get that way for me as well. I just went through and I purged a bunch of 
people and and pages that I was following. I, I followed a few more that I thought were funny and, and interesting, but I had to go through a purge a bunch because it was just, it's, yeah, again, oh, I guess I can't, I can't segue because I haven't, I haven't said, well, I can't, how do I want to put this? It's late, and I'm going to touch on a couple things tonight. I'm going to set a bunch of things up because we're going to have a bunch of different conversations coming up. We've got a stack of notes, and I've got I've got some folks lined up that I want to talk to already. Uh, some pretty sizable topics. One of them being, well, I guess I can't even say one of them being. Doesn't matter. Wow, it's eleven o'clock. Like I said, I wasn't going to do it. I was I was looking I was looking for I wasn't looking for excuse. I had an excuse. So I get done with the hunt tonight. So sorry, I digress. Instagram. Follow me on Instagram. And then you'll actually see what the heck's going on and what I'm doing. So for those of you that have been following me on Instagram, you know that um, if you follow me for any length of time, you know that most of the time I do my personal hunts out here in Kansas after all of our regular uh, other hunters are done and the landowners are done. I am a property manager and I am a hunt programs manager and so I'm managing the hunts for everyone else and yes when you get a you know potential 200 inch non-typical whitetail standing in front of you that just magically showed up out of the middle of nowhere uh yeah I'm gonna go sit in the stand if we don't have a hunter in in camp you know at, at the house uh, but after that, no, I'm just going to wait till everybody else gets done and they fill their tags and they're, and they're ready to go. Well, okay. So all the seasons got done and, and that one big buck showed back up. So I sat in the stand a couple nights hoping to get that giant eight and a half year old or however, however old he is buck. And, and the last night of the season, the last five minutes of shooting light, he steps into the food plot broadside 33 yards. I'll never forget that number. 33 yards, broadside, shot, just over. I I took fat off the back of his shoulder. And that's it. And then several days later, he shows back up and proof of life, and he's out there, and he's just fine. So buck season's over. Well, as buck season's over, out here in Kansas, sorry, I got a little adult beverage here that I'm sipping on. Um, in some years, most years, we have these late doe seasons. Uh, you can, as a not, and, and the, the relevant point behind that is, is that's no, two, two, two points. Number one, you'll hear a bunch of, and we can talk about this if people are interested in, in later on discussion. People, there's, from a wildlife biologist standpoint and a deer management standpoint, there's different ideas on when to do your doe harvest. There are some people that will advocate doing your doe management stuff early reducing the doe population uh and they make the argument that you know you reduce the doe population a little bit and that means there's less does on the landscape for breeding which means that you're going to increase the intensity of the rut action uh because the bucks are going to be you know vying over the the available does on the on the landscape well okay i've got my issues with that and again we can talk about it you know in depth at a later date but i mean most of the time when you're talking about taking does out of a, a property you know you're talking several hundred acres maybe a thousand or more acres depending on the 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 landscape and and the type of hunters that are around you or how much land that you control like for me and this is going to be relevant here um if i remember um 
I, I currently manage about 6,500 relevant acres. And, and when I say relevant acres, the, the landowners that I work with and the lands that are enrolled in the program are m- probably double that. But the landowners own a chunk of ground, m- many chunks of ground that they're good for waterfowl. They're good for coyote hunting. But you're going to be hard pressed to find a whitetail on it or a turkey on it ever. You know, there 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 are these fields that are out in the middle of nowhere, um, and so I don't really count those in my whitetail or turkey management uh, portfolio. I look at the I, I look at the the acres that actually have legitimate um, likelihood of encountering deer and or turkeys on a regular basis. So if that's the case, if I look at that, it's about 6,500 acres. So here we are, 6,500 acres is, is what I'm doing. But for the average hunter, maybe they're hunting 160 acres, 300, you know, or 640. What I mean, you pick the number of acres that you hunt on, and you think of all the people around you that hunt and what they do. You're, you, you go and do your dough management. You're, you're taking probably, most people, I would argue, are probably taking single-digit percentages off the landscape. So if you had 100 does on your property or around, in, there were 100 does that had a home range that overlapped your property. That's probably the better way to put it. Are you taking 30 does off that landscape, 20 does off that landscape annually in the early season? Most likely not. Most of the time you've got one or two or three or four guys, gals, you know, hunters that want to hunt. You go out there in October and each of you shoots a doe before you go shoot a buck. You didn't, you hardly scratch the surface of, you know, putting a dent in the doe population. So, we can again. We can have a, a discussion later on down the road on on when to do the doe harvest because there's there's a lot of nuance to it. I personally choose because Kansas gives me the option to do the doe management in January, the first you know week or two of January. This year it's uh, January one through sixteen. Uh, because Kansas gives me that option, I take it, man. I I, I absolutely take it. Why? Because I can. Number one, all the hunting seasons are over. Number two, it's cold. Winter, a lot of times you get the deer to start stacking in on cornfields. and on um, you, you, You'll start to get them herded up into these wintering grounds, and it makes them very easy to count. It's easier for me to get a post-harvest annual uh, count of the deer that are using the properties, and, and I can kind of keep track of that. And, you know, obviously it's not an actual survey per se across the entire region you know i'm not up in a you know helicopter or air you know fixed wing and i don't i'm not running collars and ear tags but what i can do is i can i can do systematic counts i'm the single observer same observer over years same observe observation point over the years same fields over the years even though we have different crop rotation Generally speaking, the crop rotation is such that in uh, from these particular observation points, no matter what the crop rotation is, there's going to be something there in late winter that the deer are going to want. And, and because of the way the landscape lies, the deer want to be here. And especially now after this is going on 
This is seven. Either we're going, either, yeah, this is year seven. I think we're going on year eight now of management. So a lot of the deer that are in there have been, I mean, literally they were born in this management protocol and that's all they know. So when it comes time for November, especially December, when the rifles start banging and people start, you know, pushing creek bottoms and everything else around us, the deer know where to go. They know that they can come into our property and there's sanctuary there. They don't get harassed. So it set itself up to where these observation points and these fields that I'm observing are historical, good, consistent, uh, high-use areas where I can consistently sit, observe, count, collect data, and then for me, just plot them out year after year after year. I can I can just detect trends. I you know how are we how are we looking relative to the baseline of what we've had in the past? And so, number one, I like waiting to do my doe management after I've been able to get a good count and get a good handle of how many animals we actually have on the landscape. I don't want to go out there and start whacking does if we don't have deer on the landscape. Conversely, if we've got a freaking piss pile of deer, then I can go, okay, yeah, I'm going to turn it out because most of the time in previous years, I open up our, uh, I, I will run late season doe hunts for a lot of folks. And, and this is the one year that we've kind of shut that down. Uh, our deer population is a little bit low. Again, that's going to be a bigger conversation in the future. But because by waiting until after the rifle season is done and give it two weeks for everybody to settle down after the rifle season, I have a really good handle on what we're seeing, where the deer are, how many deer are we dealing with, etc. So I do like waiting to do my doe harvest because of that. Um, and then number two, the other part about that is, is the later you go with your doe harvest, um, I've talked about this, uh, and pa- it just kind of, I've mentioned this and I'm going to do a video. Somebody, uh, we've had numerous people ask and another person asked about this and I'm going to, I'll probably do a video talking about it. Um, it's pretty graphic stuff. It's not if it's not sexy. It's it's graphic and and it's um, some people might find it disturbing. But when you harvest a doe in December and January, it's starting all the way you know even in December, um, she's most likely going to be pregnant. All right, and when you gut her out, if you know what you're looking for, you will easily identify the uterus. And if you open the uterus up, you can actually see how many fawns she's carrying, all right? And if you open them up, you know, for us out here, it would, I, I, I do open the, the uterus up and I do remove the fetuses uh, for two reasons. Number one, I would like to know how many fawns that doe was carrying and in some years you'll harvest a doe and you know some years and some does you'll harvest a doe and she's got none she's not pregnant at all you'll have 
oftentimes you'll open one and they'll have twin fonts. We've literally had in the past does that have had triples, triplets, and quadruplets, four fetuses in one doe. The reason why that's important for me as a deer manager to know how are the deer getting pregnant and what are they carrying in winter? Because I can go back and I run cameras year-round, I can go back into the same general areas and I can put up my, or I can move my cameras and strategically locate them in the spring and early summer so that I can see, especially June, okay, how many fawns am I seeing on the ground? If all of the does we harvested in, say, January were all carrying a minimum of two fawns, maybe three, maybe four, but then come June, all I'm seeing are does with a single fawn. Okay, what's going on there? Uh, is their body condition in the late winter such that they're, they're so poor in body condition that they're actually um, reabsorbing? Uh, so, uh, and I don't know the exact mechanism on how this works, but this is the case. If a female is under physiological stress, she can essentially, you know, if you want to call it abort a, a fetus, she can actually terminate a fetus and reabsorb that fetus and reabsorb the nutrients of, of that fetus essentially um, to where you end up, or is that, it's at least what I understand. Maybe she just, she just turns off nutrition to that fetus and the strongest one lives and the other ones just die and it just atrophies and then the body however however it works an animal can go into a season and be pregnant with two or three or four four fawn or four fetuses but if it's a just a brutal brutal struggle of a winter and their body condition just falls precipitously they may only successfully give birth to one, if any, all right? So I like to know what is our pregnancy pregnancy rate on our does before we start getting into the later stage of winter. And then what do I see in June uh, on the cameras and in observation? Are we seeing the same number of, of fawns or we seeing significantly less. Spoiler alert, we usually see very uh, significant less. Uh, that I mean, it's it's you'll see does with twins, but a lot of times you're seeing does with a single. And my guess is probably a lot of predation, and I'm going to talk about that, and we're going to start doing something about that here coming up here shortly. We've got just coyotes are just up the yin-yang. Same with the bobcats, but especially the coyotes. So one reason why I like doing my so that's one reason why I like doing my doe management this time of year is because I can I can tell what the pregnancy rate is generally speaking of the does that that are in in the population. Now, granted, I'm not rent you know I there could be an argument made. Well, if I'm going out there and I'm like tonight, I I went out there and I found the biggest does I could the biggest healthiest does I could not not healthiest wrong. 
all the does that stepped out in the field all had a same body condition score of like say a five. If you're going to do a scale of one to five, five being just absolutely fat, plump, round, sleek, everything looks just great. They are just as good as good. You can't you can't draw them. You couldn't sketch them better than what they look right. Every deer that stepped out in that field tonight was a five, body condition wise. So at that point, they all look the same. The only issue is is age class. So what I was doing is trying to target the older age class does because I'm doing. If you follow me on on Instagram, I'm I'm also the second phase of this one per, for this year. I'm going to start taking some samples and send them in for CWD testing. We are in a CWD area. Um, we had a, a relatively high prevalence rate uh, a couple years ago in this area based on the state uh, testing. Uh, I wanted to see where we're sitting. Not that, again, this is a bigger conversation, and this is going to be a different conversation. Uh, uh, one of the ones I've got uh, notes on because I'd like to talk to somebody about some of the latest CWD research and findings. But anyway, um, I want to send in a sample, a, a bunch of samples uh, for CWD testing uh, from does just scattered around our properties and just see what they come back as. We have had hunters in the past send their animals in for testing. Now, mind you, these are bucks. Um, and so far, I don't know of a single animal that's come back positive. However, you know, again, uh, the hunters are being selective. They're they're taking, you know, most of the guys that have sent the, the stuff in for testing had taken a, a five and a half or six and a half, seven and a half year old deer or, you know, hell, the one deer we killed was eight and a half years old. So when you get a deer that's that old, you're unlikely to have a deer that has CWD because usually they don't get that old if they have CWD, all right? So chronic wasting disease, chronic wasting disease, CWD. So that's what that stands for. So chronic wasting disease usually will kill an animal four, five, six years of age. So if you're dealing with a five, six, seven-year-old deer and he's 200 pounds and, I mean, prime and just rocking and rolling, it'd be... Mm, the odds are he maybe probably doesn't have CWD. If you're shooting a two and a half year old deer or a three and a half year old deer, you very well may end up finding out that that animal has CWD because you just it's it's a carrier of it, and the the state not the carrier not a carrier, it's just infected with the with the disease, but that disease has not progressed enough to cause that animal to either act. Uh, abnormally enough to where the coyotes identify it and kill it and bring it, you know, pull it down and, and kill it and eat it, or where the where the disease just kills it outright. Um, all right. So most of the guys that have have sent, and they are guys, they're male hunters. Um, most of the guys that have sent their stuff in, sent their stuff in on a five or six year old deer, and it uh, it came back negative. We. I don't know of anybody that's actually sent in does. Um, and so that's what I want to do this year is I want to send in some doe samples just, just to see what we come back as. Uh, one of the properties that I am hunting, there was a doe that I really wanted to get. Her body condition score, if you looked at it, would probably be a four. Um, you could see that you know she wasn't big, round, and fat, and plump, and everything else. You could see a little bit of her hip bones poking out. You could see a little bit of that that ridge line of her backbone sticking out. 
You could see her shoulders, just kind of the tops of her shoulders were just kind of protruding a little bit. Her neck was a little skinnier than everybody else's. And she just generally walked around with her head hung a little bit lower, ears just generally back. You, you could tell just by behavior and, and look that she, she was just a little off. The question is, is why? You know, if you look at a deer and you're like, okay, well, that looks like a just, man, that one looks old, man, it's just ancient looking deer. Okay, well, then you can say, oh, well, tooth wear, you know, maybe it's just not as efficient eating. Uh, it's it's not being able to, you know, because it can't chew, it can't break stuff down, so the digestion is disrupted, blah, 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 blah. Maybe it's got a, a mouth abscess, something's going on, you know, inside to where it's just old age and just the body's falling apart or something else is going on. But when you look at the animal and you're like, man, that animal only looks like three, four, you know, maybe it's a five-year-old doe, you know, but it, it just it looks does, doesn't look excessively old. It's not an elderly doe, and it seems a little off as far as its body condition in relation to everyone else in the area utilizing the same food resources, water resources, sanctuary resources. Same encountering the encountering the same stressors in the environment, weather, uh, coyote pressure, etc. If it's a little different, I'd like to shoot that one, send it in, see why. Is she CWD positive, or and then pull her jawbone and say, or, or is it the fact that she's got some tooth wear? Is she an old deer? Open her up, take a look inside the stomach. You know what's going. Just just kind of figure out what the heck's going on. Why does that deer look different than everybody else? So on that one particular property, there was a doe that clearly was that. She was like, you know, everybody else is in the field is like a five on a, on, a, on a one to five scale of quality, five being the highest. She was probably like a four, you know, th- yeah, she was a four. Her, her head position and ear position really set her off. But the body condition, unless you really sat and looked at it, you probably wouldn't notice. And that's the other thing that's why I want to I want to send these in and, and test them is just because it'd be if if I had sent hunters out there I if they didn't know what I was looking at and they weren't paying attention she was one of the first deer out in the field bang she's dead because she's a she's a mature doe and so if there was fawns out in the field whether she would step out and she'd be the biggest doe in the field well she's the first one out in the field and she's going straight to the water anybody knows CWD a lot of times. CWD positive animals will tend to like to be around water. Well, she was the first one at the water tanks every day. Well, most hunters, bang, done, shoot it. She'd have been done. And if if a hunter didn't care, they would they have tested it? I don't know. You know, everybody has their own different value set for chronic wasting disease and, and their concern about it. And again, this is going to be a different, uh, dis, uh, another discussion uh, in the future, a more in-depth discussion. But you know, a lot of guys still just shoot it and they're like, no, I, I just, it's almost like out of sight, out of mind. I'd rather not know. You know what I mean? I just, uh, I'll just, she looks fine. All the meat's good. It was a good shot. It's fine. For me, it's fine, but other people, maybe not. But regardless, out of a curiosity's sake, we know that we're in a chronic wasting disease area. Maybe curious. Okay. Let's send, we've got, I had the state uh, veterinary uh, folks send me the, the, um, 
formaldehyde. So I can, you don't have to use formaldehyde, but the state will send it to you. For, Kansas will send it, send that stuff to you for free. Um, you got to pay for the, the testing if you're not in one of the focus areas, but, um, you know, they'll, they'll pay, they'll send you that stuff and a, a, a UPS label too. So uh, I went ahead and had him send me 10 little jars of uh, formaldehyde so I can send them in and just, just out of curiosity, what are we dealing with? So that was a long way around late seat. The reason why, again, I like shooting does late season because I can evaluate my herd a little bit better um, and see who's on the landscape. How many deer do I want to take? What are their, what is their body condition? What do they look like? And then their pregnancy, you know, Oh, sorry. I, and the other part about the, the fetal and, and this, again, I'm going to do some videos on this. Um, not only can I deter, if you look at the uterus, you can determine pregnancy rate, but I have the National Deer Alliance, used to be Quality Deer Management Association, uh, but you can go to the, you can look it up through that or the National Deer Alliance. Um, um, Sorry, yawning. Um, you can go there. They actually sell a fetal white tail deer scale. So it's a, basically a scale, uh, a, a ruler, um, big ruler. And what that does is it, it's it's marked off on it's it looks like a ruler, um, but the marks on that ruler, quote unquote, there's millimeters. But also the, the markings will correspond. They have them labeled to where you can take the fawn fetus, remove it from the placenta. Okay, so you've got the uterus that holds all the fluid. And, you know, in a, in a human, you can, well, every fetus will have it is inside a placenta. That placenta is inside the uterus. Does that make sense? So you have the uterus. You could find that when you op- when you got your deer. You, if you know what you're looking at, the the uterus is very obvious. You can open up that uterus, and within inside that uterus, you will find one, two, three, four placenta with a fetus inside it. All right. If you rem- obviously you shot the doe, she's dead. The fetus is about the size of your thumb. You know, it's some some section of your thumb, like the tip of your thumb, the whole thumb. But that's about the size of it. Obviously, that fawn is dead. You're and you're not gonna you're not gonna. It's still early development. It's the fetus is dead. So you can remove that fetus out of that placenta. And it shows you on that scale, you can lay the fetus on the scale in such a manner that you can measure from the forehead of that fetus to the base of the tail, basically the rump of that fetus. The scale will tell you how many days old it is. So, from conception, when that doe got pregnant till now, that's that's how many days. It'll tell you how many weeks it is. It'll tell you how many days or weeks till 
parturition when it what she gives birth. So you can you can by basically measuring that fetus, you can learn all sorts of information. What I focus on is okay, when did she conceive that? That when when did she get pregnant? Um, in the past years, for our area, it was very consistent. November thirteenth through seventeenth, somewhere around in there. I mean, the number of, of does that were pregnant between the 13th and 17th of November was insane. Uh, that is that is our peak period. Um, but let me just do this. I just realized. So uh, that's the other reason why I like doing them in harvesting in January because the fetus is large enough to where it's easier to get a really good measurement. And then I know exactly when that doe uh, got pregnant. When when did she breed? When exactly did she breed? So, for instance, tonight, I uh, two does uh, harvested. One, the fetus was 51 days old. So, if we go back, so it's January 9th today, 51 days old, and, and you, you measure each fetus. So if there's one, you measure one. If there's two, you measure two. If there's four, you measure all four, and then you average it because you might have a fetus that's a little bit bigger than the other one, or, and especially how you, you know, depending on how it lays on the, it, there, there's, they do a great job. The, the, the folks that, that put this together did a great job on it. So it shows you how you want to position the fetus and you want the, the fetus to be in a very natural position. But as anything, there's some variations in how the fetus is, is oriented and, and the shape of it. So you can have a little bit of subtle variation. So you take the average of it. So for tonight, uh, the first doe I shot, she was 120 pounds. Um, I will send in the teeth as well to get a good solid age um, because tooth wear out here is kind of difficult because we just don't have a lot of really, really tough foods that wear their teeth down excessively. Once you get to a mature animal, you can start getting to, you know, like, okay, yeah, it's, it's definitely a two-year-old or it's definitely three or you know, three to four, or it's four to five, or, yeah, you know, and then you just get wishy-washy after that. Unless you're dealing with a really old deer and like, okay, it has no teeth, so it's really old. And that's about all you can tell. I want to start sending them in a little bit more religiously to start getting saying, okay, I know this animal is three. I know this animal is six or whatever. It'd be very interesting to know how many of uh, some of the, or how old some of these does are <coughs> because there was a bunch, you know, like on the one doe tonight, the, the, uh, the second doe, man, she had a bunch of, um, you can tell she's, she's had a bunch of fawns a bunch of fawns in the past. So anyway, so first doe, 120 pounds, uh, big mature doe. That feed, the, the average on that fetus, it said it was 51 days ago that it was conceived. So if we count back 51 days, so we let it go. One, so seven, eight, nine, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, 19, 20, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 31, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 3, 9, 40, for one, for two, three, four, five, six, seven, for eight, for nine, fifty and fifty-one. Fifty-one days is November nineteenth. She was bred and pregnant on November nineteenth. Okay, that's fifty-one. 
And the other doe was 125-pound doe. That those Her fetuses were 56 days old. She was bred and got pregnant on November 14th. So that's the two reasons why, a long discussion of why, I, I really do like this later doe season. I do generally prefer to take my does and our, do our doe management uh, in late December, early January, January, because I can, the fetus is of such a length that it makes it a lot easier to get a good count and, and really know when those deer were, um, bred. So yeah, so we're, so here we are 19th, what I say? 19th, 14th and 19th. I need to write that down. 14th and 19th. I can, I've got it written down on the other room, but, um, and then the other one was, what What did I say the other one was? I thought that was the week of the 20th. Or the, or the um, yeah, week of the 21st, somewhere around in there. Sorry, I'm just looking at the calendar right now. And, the, and, and sorry, yeah, I know I sound distracted because I am. I'm just looking at this because I, because uh, the other one, I find that interesting because it's three does, three big mature does on two different properties that were bred in the typical, that uh, third week of November. That's normal, man. I mean, that's that's like typical. Um, the fact that we had one that was bred the week after that, okay, within the standard bell-shaped curve, okay, not a big deal. But for many of us, we were seeing in 2021, man, a lot of people were taught, and I, I will absolutely second this. Um, I was seeing rutting activity, like the pre-rut chase phase. Well, let's just say seeking phase seemed like it kicked off that middle of October. And we were watching chasing uh 18th through say the 29th you know well, no 25th 27th of October which is a, a full week to nine days before a lot of times in the past we'd seen it it really seemed like a lot of the rutting activity kicked off two weeks earlier than normal maybe so I was anticipating we were going to have a lot of earlier uh, pregnancies you know obviously I'm not done I mean, it's three does it's a tiny sample size so there you go, Ro. Um, but it'll be interesting to see how things shake out over time to see if we detect any really early breeding or if we just had a really early phase that the bucks were all fired up and they were push, push, pushing and chasing and seeking and running around and then it kind of just quieted it down because it really did seem like we were in lockdown phase um, seriously from that first week of November well, for the first two weeks of November, I mean, it really seemed like we were in lockdown phase. It was, we did not have a lot of daytime movement of our bucks. We just didn't. We did well with our hunters, um, but we we had a lot more nighttime activity. More number one and number two, we had a much reduced activity in those first week to nine days, ten days of November than we typically did. It was almost like they were in lockdown, which that's 
typically when people say they're in lockdown, that's when they're breeding. Well, so far, everything's normal or a little later, but we'll see. That's, again, small sample size. Can't make a conclusion off that. It's just curious. But anyway, that's why I'm doing the doe management that we're doing. That's what I'm, okay, not doe management. This year, it's not really doe management because, again, our population seems to be low, much lower than normal, especially in, in a few of our areas where it just seems like our, our deer numbers are way down. Now, again, I'm not going to dive into that right now because that's a massive discussion. It's going to be a multi-part discussion. Um. Because, yeah, I mean, there and, and I know I've got some locals that are probably uh, local folks that live here that are going to be listening to this, and they're going to be like, God damn, we don't have any deer, bro. You're, you're shooting all the deer. You're killing too many deer, all these dang blankety blank and blank. Okay, shut up. Like I said, I've got 6,500 acres that I'm managing across two counties from... Highway 36 all the way down to Bow Creek. I, 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 need, to, I need to look at what the, the square mile area is, but it's massive. And we're talking about taking hopefully 10 different does across all those properties. Shut up. And again, I took, them, I took two deer out of one field tonight. Last night, that, or two nights ago, that field had 100 deer in it. And then as I drove back towards town, back towards the house, on on our fields and others, there's another 50 that I could see just for just just as I drove. And and it said, so there's a lot of people that have no idea about deer management, even though you've got a wildlife biologist living right here in town. Everybody knows where I live. Many of these people have my phone number. You can come talk to me. Do they? No. They would much rather live in the world of rumor and bullshit. So I know some of them are going to be listening to this. So no. We're talking about taking up to 10 deer. Probably seven. Right now, I, I think I can. Commi- I think we've got the, the commitment and I think we've got the ability to, to take seven does across this gargantuan area and send them in for sampling. So I'm not pounding the population, number one. Uh, number two, at least someone's out here freaking doing something rather than sitting up there, sitting with your thumb up your butt and, and complaining that, well, I just don't see the deer and I'm not too... It, well, what have you done? Have you done anything? You know, again, if you follow me on Instagram, I talk about this stuff all the time. The fact that we had, you know, everybody around here that lives here knows exactly how much work I put in to our deer management program. Probably more than I should because it's eating away money, you know. Um, It's not like I'm making money hand over fist. And quite honestly, I'm spending probably as much money as coming in on some of our deer stuff just because how much, you know, everybody saw, Everybody knows, you know what my truck looks like, you know what my trailer looks like, you know what, you know where I live, it's parked on the side of the road, and when I'm out there every three days filling up the water freaking thing, and I'm driving through town and running water for deer, you damn well know how much what work that we're putting in, and, and, and how much I'm doing uh, to make sure our, popula- our, our properties are taken care of. At any time, you could stop by and ask, but no, 
You know damn well how much work was put into it. If you don't do a damn thing, well, don't complain to me when you're not seeing deer and you don't know why. Now we're again, we're gonna, I'm gonna dive into what's going on here in, in Northwest Kansas and and explore some ideas with folks because some people want to say the sky is falling. Some people say no, there's no big deal. Well, there's probably the truth is probably somewhere in between. But if in in, in without having a critical eye and stepping outside the box and stepping outside of your mindset you may not a you don't you don't know what you don't know first of all and then b you got to be very careful about what you think you know um, again a lot of a lot of folks around here and it's it's not just here a lot of places a lot of people these days love to live in the world of rumor and misinformation why? Because it just it feeds what they want to believe. Whether we're talking COVID, whether we're talking <laughs> sportsman's issues, wildlife management issues, it doesn't matter. A lot of people refuse to think critically and they refuse to chase down facts and good information because it's easier on their mind and their psyche and their emotions to live in that, what Jordan Peterson talks about, the fog. Because if you live in that fog, there's always that plausible deniability of, well, maybe maybe it's something, maybe it's something else. Maybe it's not me. It has nothing to do with me. It's something that is being forced upon me. I'm the victim. Well, guess what? You very well may not be. Maybe you are. Maybe you're a victim of, of what the circumstances, and here we are talking deer. You know, if, 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 if the deer population in your area is low, well, why is that? What have you done with your crop rotation? What have you done with your, your cattle? And what are you doing with your crops? What does the free water on the landscape look like? What do, what, what do the coyote numbers look like you know what all these things are going on around you you as a landowner you as a, as somebody who lives on the landscape you, there's some of these things that you can control you can change guess what that's what the freaking hell i'm doing you see me with the genesis 3 no-till spend freaking how many thousands of dollars you know on that machine just so I can increase my efficiency on my food plots and we drill a shit ton excuse my language a shit ton of food plots every year guess who's got deer on their property huh yeah so anyway I digress but yes there's 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 changes going on in the landscape uh, in some areas the deer numbers seem to be down on some of our properties, that is the absolutely the case. On other the properties, it seems to be buffered. We don't seem to have a problem. But I would rather, I would really like to start taking a look at some of the disease issues. You know, see what our CWD testing on our does looks like. Um, but the relevant point also is that some people uh, that are listening to this wanted to come out and do a late season doe hunt this year. And I just told them, no, we're, we're not doing that. Again, normally I'm running hunts to where we're trying to take, you know, upwards. You know, in the in when we first started, there were some properties in some places. We were hoping to take 30 does a year. 
because uh, we just had that many deer. Uh, we never got even remotely close to that. I think the one year across all properties, I think we hit killed like 13, 15 does or something like that. It's it's always difficult because that, and that's one of the uh, arguments for not doing doe management late season. Uh, it's easier to get hunters out in the field when they want to go kill a big buck than it is out in the field when it's cold and it's miserable and deer season, quote unquote, the buck season's already done. It's hard to get people motivated to go out and actually shoot does. Um, but if it's me, I'm doing it. Well, that's a little easier. I've got a good group of friends that want to come out, and there's a lot of people that contact me. Again, in northwest Kansas, the beautiful thing about the January doe season is that is the only season that a non-resident hunter can purchase a deer license over the counter. Just walk up to any vendor and buy a license. It's a doe-only license, but you can get your non-resident hunting license, and then at least for now, in many, well, let's just say, at least for now in the northwest part of the state, but for the majority of the state, I think a non-resident hunter can walk up and purchase up to five different doe tags for that January season. And it's it, there's different zones in the, in the state, and each zone has its own season, and each zone has the number of deer you can take. But I think statewide you can shoot up to five does in the January season. And it's any legal method, archery, muzzleloader, rifle, whatever you want to do. But a non-resident can buy that tag over the counter. Just walk up and buy it. So there are some people that, you know, RHR followers and, and folks that, you know, you know, subscribers and whatnot. Um, every year I'm running, usually I'm running doe management hunts right now. Well, we shut those down this year just because the numbers seem to be low enough to where I was concerned about over-harvesting in some areas. I always want our anybody that comes out here and hunts with us, I want them to have a high likelihood of success. I'm not going to send them out in a field where I know, you know, oh, you know, you're, you got, you're out here for three days. Oh, you know, just, just keep out here hunting. You, know, you might see something. No, you're not going to see a damn thing. They're, deer don't walk across that except maybe three days out of the entire year, I'm going to put you in a place where, okay, deer are walking out into this field or they're walk, they're they're down in this chunk of ground. They're in this chunk of real estate every freaking day. They come out of that alley and that little trail and that corner of the field between such and such and such and such time. And if you sit in this place with this wind and point your gun that way, you can just fill your tags. Boom. I want people to have a high, high quality hunt experience, but I want a high expectation of success. This year, I wasn't sure we could pull that off. And so I shut down our extended doe seasons. I am just going to fill the tags that I have. And then the one of the landowner, well, actually two, well, I've got a couple of landowners um, are going to try to see if they can fill the tags that they have. We're just going to fill the tags that we have. We're going to scatter the harvest across all our properties. Send just send all the you know tooth uh, the incisors in to get aged, 
and then send it in for CWE testing to see what it comes back in and just start doing a little bit better job of uh, really picking apart some of the, the biological data that, that, that we're getting. So that's what's going on now. That's why I'm, you know, if you see me out there posting stuff on Instagram, hunting, A, that's what I'm doing. B, if I told you no, we're not going to do doe hunts, and then you see me out there doing doe hunts, sorry, I'm not being a hypocrite. We're just not doing additional doe hunts, and the doe hunts that I'm doing, I'm sending in for testing. Um, but yeah, I mean, there's a, there's a lot of things going on that I want to talk to you guys about um, that I think are going to be interesting conversations. There's stuff going on in the sportsman world that has been controversial that I thought was interesting, that really fun thought experiments uh, that we'll tackle. There are these things like what's going on in Northwest Kansas, what's going on with chronic wasting disease, what's going on with our coyote population, what's going on with our uh, crop rotation, uh, what you know, just generally speaking, what's going on with with animal populations out here, what are we seeing with our pheasant population? This, you know, I, a lot of people uh, know that these past couple of years, we uh, pheasant and quail numbers have just been going exponentially upward in recovery and it's been awesome and then all of a sudden this year hits and i mean it looks like our pheasants just took it in the freaking nuts if you will um it's difficult in some places many places to find good pheasant popular pheasant numbers now again i in this case i'm not i'm not patting myself on the back but yet maybe I should you know on some of the properties we have this year we tested out a different mix and we we started using I started using green cover seed company uh some of their seed blends no not no not their blends I custom did everything of mine I'm going to talk about that that's going to be another thing I want to bring up um this anybody that that follows whitetail stuff Dr. Grant Woods really, I mean, I don't know how much money Dr. Grant Woods made Green Cover Seed Company this past year. But, oh my gosh, it blew up. The popularity of this company and what they were doing as far as their seed blends and and the seeds that they offer, it was insane. Everybody and their brother's uncle wanted to go to Green Cover Seed, and it was all the new rave and every blah, blah, blah. Well, I'm, I, I tried some stuff, and I had some success. I had some some failures. We're going to talk about that again in some upcoming stuff. But anecdotally, or not anecdotally, wrong word, as an aside, I tried a summer blend this year, purposeful, that was going to be a very diverse blend. And part of that blend was a lot of milo, uh, sorghums, millets, a lot of grain-type, grass-type species. Because of the drought year this year, those species, which are known to be drought-tolerant, they did all right. They came in great. All the other stuff that was in there just was worthless. Well, so we've got acres upon acres like there's a five acre one there's another acre there's a three i mean we've got acres of essentially milo a dense milo millets grain sorghum sedan 
grass, I just whether you want to call it a grass or ag field, whatever you want to call it, food plot. Oh my freaking word, did the pheasants pile in there. I mean, we've got pheasants stacked in. Oh my gosh. It's awesome. It's awesome. It's awesome. Some of our other properties, the quail are doing great. You can't, you can't buy a pheasant. You could, you can't find a pheasant if you try. We went out today with the dogs, uh, with Jep, and went to a spot where there was pheasant tracks there. There's a few, but they were all hens. And I mean, we we actually we actually stopped the hunt halfway through uh, where we wanted to cover, simply because we've got snow on the ground and it's been on the ground for several days, so you can see tracks. We actually stopped the hunt on this particular property uh, and walking this property because I was like, and, and Kelly agreed. Um, my wife, who's also a, a wildlife biologist, uh, she she said the same thing. She's like, I am just not seeing tracks. I'm like, no, neither am I. I mean, we, the, the, this is a place where normally you can hear the pheasants cackling uh, sounding off in the evenings and the mornings, there's usually good bird numbers here, and and we just don't have any. Again, there's there's a reason for that. I mean, we had some CRP changes this year, um, brutal drought. So that that's going to be a, a topic of discussion here coming up because I want and I am I'm not going to dive into it now because I really want to compare and contrast some of our food plot areas with some of these other native areas that typically did hold birds. A, to see how many birds just flat moved and then how many birds did we just flat lose in some of these spots. And, and that's going to be a, a longer discussion. But um, there's a, and I, I know this just sounds maybe like a scatter kind of, you know, random assemblage of topics, but there's just, I've been, there's just been so many people I've talked to these past several weeks. I mean, it's just, where have all the deer gone? Where have all the pheasants gone? What do the quail look like? What are the turkeys looking like? Which we had a phenomenal hatch this past year. Okay, well then what the hell is going on? We had horrible, abysmal turkey hatches these past several years. But we had pheasant and quail going through the through the roof. This year we had quail seemed to do awesome. Turkeys were freaking phenomenal. They they had an awesome hatch. But the pheasants took it in the shorts. Okay, well, what the frick? What? what, what the, why? All right, well, let's dive into some of these things because it's. It, I think it's important for people to, especially the people that are not trained in wildlife biology and not accustomed to looking critically at the landscape and really looking at trends over time. Um, a lot of people just get angry. They get frustrated. And then they just let their mind wander, and, and then all of us, all sorts of stuff pop up of you know reasons why and who's to blame, and it's like okay, hold hold, just pump the freaking brakes, and can we just start using some critical thinking? We need to on a lot of things, and that's okay. So besides just the hunting stuff that I'm doing, again, that's what you know I want to start talking about. Um, I've got a uh, hopefully this week I'm going to be talking to Rob Petuto. Uh, of the Stickbow Chronicles, we're not going to be talking about, you know, trad stuff. I, I, I want to talk to him about Idaho and what Idaho went through 
because I'm looking at what what's going on currently in Colorado uh, with and and again this is why I want to wait until this meeting's done. So in the middle of the week, uh, the 12th and 13th, I believe, the Wildlife Commission is going to be looking at uh, a couple of different regulations. One, whether or not archery hunters have to wear blaze orange during the overlap. So in Colorado during the month of September. You have archery season running for approximately 28 days or whatever it is, 30-day season. But that third week of that third week of that season, it, there's also muzzleloader hunters in there as well. So there's been this overlap. Well, last year there was a fatality: a, a, a non-resident muzzleloader hunter shot and killed a non-resident archery hunter. And now the knee-jerk reaction. I'll just say that's my bias. The knee-jerk reaction by the state is well. Now we just need to make all archery hunters wear orange. It's like hold the freaking phone. We've had one. We've had three, what is it? Three fatalities in twenty five years, and and the archery hunters are the ones that need to to do something different. And then there was a, a proposal that you know maybe archery hunters need to have certificate, you know, certification, uh, a a uh, hunter ed, you know, um, refresher. You know, a little quiz, a uh, little thing that you you basically have to take, like lion hunting in Colorado. Before you go to, you, you can buy a license, you have to demonstrate that you can pass a lion identification quiz and a certification. Some were arguing that, well, maybe what we do is, you know, archery hunters don't have to wear orange, but, you know, before you can buy an archery license, uh, you have to pass this little 10-question quiz uh, you know, on hunter safety stuff. And I'm like, what the, why do the archery hunters have to do it? Now we can have this discussion. There, there's more to this discussion, but it's always in Colorado. The archery hunters take it in the shorts. It, the, 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 the atmosphere of the agency of, of Colorado has always been relatively hostile or less than embracing to the archery community and it seems like the archery hunters, the bow hunters of Colorado are all the, the, the bastard stepchildren of the hunting world as far as the Colorado agency, wildlife agency is concerned. So anyway, that's a discussion coming up. But, you know, because that wildlife commission meeting is coming up Wednesday. Is it Wednesday and Thursday? Don't quote me on that. Um, 12th and 13th, I believe. You can find that information on their website. Um, but the other one is is making two over-the-counter units, over-the-counter elk units, limited draw for archery hunting because of hunter pressure. Not over-the-counter, not limited draw for rifle, limited draw for archery. So here we are again, losing opportunity for over-the-counter. We've got another couple units going to um, limited draw. And then the question, and I was talking to Rob. Rob's from Idaho. Rob has lived there the past what, 30, 40 years. Rob was there in the heyday of back when the elk hunting was phenomenal and, and was relatively, um, I won't say undiscovered, but they didn't have the the overwhelming interest like maybe they did today you know these days to wolves coming in and changing the area to all of a sudden all non-resident tags are you know over the counter with caps and it's redistributed and it really changed the landscape on uh for or changed 
the way a lot of people uh, hunted Idaho. And the question I had to rob him, like, do you think over-the-counter tags are a thing of the past? If if we look at what's going on in the West and we and we talk about some of the recruitment and retention and reactivation, the R three activities, um, are are we are we seeing the end of over the will we see the end of over the counter license sales? It's going to be an interesting conversation that's coming up. Um, but. There's just so much stuff that I want to share with you guys, and, and I need to just be more disciplined and really focus this year, 2022, on really trying to to commit to you guys, try to do – no, I need to commit a podcast a week. If I can do them and release them each Monday, I think that would be awesome if I, can, if I can get it to where I can just – every Monday – I've got at least every Monday I've got a podcast coming out. Maybe it's just sit maybe it's just gonna be one of these where I'm sitting here doing exactly what I'm doing, is just rambling. And and again, it's it's now it's what what time is it midnight? Yeah, it's quarter after twelve, midnight. Again, I was not gonna I was not gonna I was gonna put it off. And I, I said no, I can't. And part of the reason why I put it off is oh my gosh. So you know, everybody jokes about whitetail fit. Well, there's something to be said about that. You know, when you're younger, number one, and especially if you live in a mountain state where you actually have, or any place where you have, how do I want to put this? It doesn't matter. Bottom line, in Colorado, I was in much better shape than what I am out here. Um, it's not saying I was in great shape in Colorado, but I was in better shape there than I was out than I am out here. Especially after two years of coming off this the what I dealt with the with the original round of, you know, I was I ended up getting COVID pretty early on in the game and um <clears throat> it freaking messed up my lungs pretty good. And so I'm finally getting through that. Well, for pretty much two years I didn't work out at all because I couldn't. I, I just you just I just couldn't breathe. Um, and so now I realize I'm like, holy hell, now that I'm, I've kind of come through that, I've got, I'm, I'm much better now and I'm still probably always going to have to deal with some certain things, but I'm so much better now. Um, I just, I've got to get myself back in shape. I've got, I've got to be healthy. I've, I, I'm noticing that my muscle mass is, is gone. Um, and my strength in many ways is gone to the point where now I'm noticing that I'm starting to get, you know, like my shoulders. I'm starting to get ligament, uh, tendon issues. Rather than sore shoulders, I, I'm, I'm getting structural injuries. Um, I've always had a low back issue, but I've, I've noticed that, man, if I don't do something, I'm, I, it's going to flare up and it's going to be worse. My mobility has turned to just crap. And so here, very shortly, I'm going to be turning 50. That's scary to say, um, and I'm not in good shape, and I and I've got to turn myself around. So, I the other thing I've committed to, and everybody does this on a New Year's resolution. I'm gonna get in shape. Yeah, well, for me at this point, it's like okay, I have to. Otherwise, I'm not gonna be able to function on the landscape the way I'm accustomed to functioning. Okay, so I'm like, all right, I need to. I just need to start working out, and I 
hate working out. I mean, I would rather clean toilets at a state park than work out. Um, yeah, I hate working out. But it's something you got to do. And so the other day, um, well, this past week, started gingerly stepping into it, um, trying not to overdo it, but was working, doing some shoulder exercises the other day, and like two days ago, and I could feel that I got a little bit of muscle tension in the in the bottom right part of my neck. I'm like, all right, well, it makes sense. You know, I haven't worked any of those muscles in how long. It's going to get angry. Okay, whatever. So I took today, you know, not trying to overdo it. I took today off-ish. My fitness for tonight was getting deer out of the stinking field. So dragging them across the field and loading them in the truck. And so there was lifting and pull, you know, dragging and pulling and lifting and heaving. And the way I got the deer because I have access to a vehicle, um, well, it doesn't even matter. I, I still, I can still carry a saw in my backpack, but I do like splitting the sternum. You know, I'll, you know, you gut the deer, put the deer on the back, on, lay them on their back, open them up down the, the belly, all the way to the pelvis. I'll cut all the way down to the pelvic bone, but then up in the chest, I, I cut all the way, you know, basically down longitudinally down the brisket for a doe, I'll take it all the way up. And this is a video that I have that I need to put on the website for the deer management, the, the whitetail section. Because um, it was shocking to me the number of people that were curious on how to actually gut a deer. But, you know, again, here I am, 50. I've done this for my entire life. And then I, I forget that there's a lot of you that are getting, that are new to this. And you don't have the reps. You don't have the, the experience. You don't, I, I don't even know how many deer I've gutted and broke down you know, at this point, again, there's going to be some people that, you know, Western hunters are like, Oh, I just do the gutless method. Okay. Well, you can do that, but you've got a vehicle, you've got a house, you're down the road. You, you really don't need to do the gutless method out in the freaking field. If you can just throw it in the back of your truck, but by the same token, it's nice to be able to gut it out and hang it. And how I gut it out is a very clean and efficient method. Part of that method is splitting the brisket with a saw, I'll cut right down the, the, the length of the brisket so I can split the chest wide open and pull everything out from the Adam's apple all the way down to the pooper. So it, everything in the alimentary canal is just whoop, gone, out. Everything's clean. I don't know what the frickin' heck I did, but I got about halfway through the first dough, you know, try, get, not even half, no. I started in cutting the brisket on the first dough and she went, she started to roll again. Keep in mind, it's 20 degrees in the wind, in the snow. I'm out by myself doing it with a headlamp. Her butt end started to flop. I went to catch her and I was still sawing. I'm right-handed. I, on my shoulder exercises the other day, my little muscle tweak was on my right side of my neck at the base of my neck. So here I am right side sawing with my right hand she rolls I go to catch her and I adjust how my I don't know what the freaking heck I did but I freaking put all of a sudden my neck just goes wham and I mean I tweaked something in my neck 
as soon as it happened, I was like, oh no, this is going to be bad. Because I know how my muscle spasms work. Usually something like this fires and it's seven, ten days before it finally relaxes, no matter what I do. Trust me, I'm I'm on adult beverages and ibuprofen right now trying to let, you know, natural muscle relaxers engage, but she's angry and that's part of the reason why I'm doing this you know again I was I I got back I got both the deer so I got I got them loaded up I got them gutted loaded loaded them out of the field hole that sucked got them up took them out of the field I never gut my animals where I kill them I don't need to be attracting coyotes into into the areas that the deer are using. You know, I'm going to be shooting a deer in a field that the deer typically like to use. I'm just going to go grab, just let the deer fall, go get it, pull it out whole, take it somewhere else. There I'll gut it where I don't mind if the coyotes find it or more oftentimes, you know, whether it's, you know, it doesn't matter. Let the, let the, let the coyotes find it somewhere else. Got up there, unloaded them, gutted them, loaded them back up, got back to the house, unloaded them, weighed them, did all the stuff, got everything buttoned up, cleaned up, got in the house, and I think it was like 9 o'clock when I finally sat down and ate something to eat or grabbed something for dinner. But my, I've got, literally, I can, you know, if I look straight ahead, I think I can... I think I've got about 30 degrees of movement to the right. And I've got maybe 45 degrees of movement to the to the left. <laughs> it's, it's so angry. It's so angry right now. Oh my it just hurts. And I I cannot I physic I can't touch my chin to my you know, you like you try to put your chin to your chin. No, that isn't happening. And I can maybe look up. I can bring my chin up maybe a couple inches looking up. It's just, it's so jacked right now. So I sat there and I'm, I'm sitting there eating something, grabbing something to eat tonight. Sitting there going, man, I don't feel like wanting to go out there and do a podcast. And I, but I wanted to commit to get something out for Monday. And I wanted to talk about such and such. And people have these quite, just need to make it happen. Just got to start making it happen. For 2022, we just got to make it happen. Work on something through the week and try to get it and try to get it to you each Monday. That is my commitment. I don't know if I'm going to succeed. I'm going to endeavor to succeed the best I can. I don't know if I will fail along the way. I hope I do not. I hope you call me out on it and hold me accountable. And if you're working on something, I'll try to hold you accountable as well. But um, it's easy to get into a lazy cycle. And I and I will say these past couple of years I got into a lazy cycle. There were some res, there were some health reasons for that. There were some psychological reasons for that. But you can't keep living in that. It's time to it's time to it's time to be done. It's time it's time to be done with that. It's time to to just put my big boy pants on and pull them up a little higher than what they have been and then uh, get her done. So here we are. So hour and 15 minutes, me rambling, talk about what's going on. And, and yes, no. And for those who have asked, yeah, no, I have not talked about my elk season yet. I, I did a little bit on the last 
Stickbow Chronicles podcast with um, with the guys. If you've tuned into that one, I need to post that one up on on my site as well for for the members. But no, I haven't even talked about my uh, my elk season. But I think that's going to be a good. Some of that's going to be a good segue on some of the stuff I want to talk about with Colorado over-the-counter units and, and hunting pressure and, and what I see as far as the future of over-the-counter hunting and, and what we I would like to see folks start focusing on in the future, if we're especially if we're serious about R3, um, recruitment, retention, reactivation efforts on hunting. Um, but I... I, no, I haven't forgot about that. No, I you didn't miss it. So people ask, I mean, every now and then it's like people come up and, dude, did I miss your elk season? What happened to elk season? I, I, no, <laughs> I haven't even talked about it yet. I got back from elk season. I went straight into scrambling to finish food plots, which scra- straight into, uh, we had massive uh, storms in September that, I, for one entire property, probably about three quarters of a mile of river bottom, seven different tree stands. The trees came down, and the entire deer movement pattern and that entire property had changed because of all the trees that blew down and all the the damage that was done. I had to reset every single one of them in a matter of of days, uh, getting ready for our deer hunt. So I, I mean, it, it, it as soon as I got back from elk season, it was a mad scramble to get ready for our deer hunters. And then our deer hunters came th- rocking through and then, then there's life. And then, then there's life. And then projects at the house and it, bah, excuses, excuses, excuses. Well, I'm going to try to end the excuses. I'm going to try to commit to doing at least a podcast a week for, for you guys uh, and see how it goes. So I'm going to kill it. I'm freaking tired. It's 1230. I need to go to bed. I think I'm due for another round of ibuprofen. Probably put a rice pack on this neck. Oh, if anybody has any magic treatments other than a chiropractor, I mean, sure, I could go see a chiropractor, but I, I'm not having them snap my neck. I, I do not. I just, I, I will not know. I know people that go to chiropractors and they're like, oh, I have them crack my neck and it feels great. Nope. That is not me, brother, sister. Negative, not happening. I've had it done a couple of times, and I've, I've said I will never do it again. Every single time I've had, and, it, and these are reputable, I mean like seriously good chiropractors. I've had them do it, and my neck has been so jacked up for weeks afterward. Headaches, everything else, no. Nope, nope, no. So don't chime in. He's like, oh, go to see a chiropractor and have him work on your neck. Not happening. I'll use some heating pad or rice bags and ice and ibuprofen, and I'll just let this stuff work its way out if it needs to be. But anyway, I've got 375 pounds of whitetail hanging in my, like literally on the other side of this wall right now out there that I got to that I've got to deal with and I've got four other at least I think I think we've got four four other tags to fill that I think we can fill we've got a week to do it so and then we've got coyote hunt so man I haven't even talked about that there's so much to talk about I'm actually excited I'm actually excited alright I'm gonna kill it it is what it is hour and 20 minutes of rambling 
roughly. Deal with it. If you liked it, great. If you didn't, ah, bear with it. Next one should be better. All right. Hope you guys are doing well. I will talk to you guys again soon. And, uh, yeah, again, Instagram. Instagram is where you're probably going to engage me the best. So follow me over there, at least for now. At least for now. Follow me over there. And every, as usual, everything's row hunting resources, R-O-E hunting resources. So Instagram is no different. Go over there. Hit a follow. You can see all sorts of stuff that's going on. And you can message. You know, it's a lot easier to message me, throw me ideas, ask me questions, posit some podcast ideas, podcast guest ideas, blah, 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 blah. You know the deal. You know the deal. All right. I'm out. Talk to you guys later. Thanks. Bye.